Welcome to The Mountain Gardener with your host, Ken Lane. Gardening can be challenging, but with Ken's tips, tricks, and local advice, you'll reap huge rewards. Now welcome your host, Ken Lane. And welcome to this week's edition of The Mountain Gardener, your host, Ken Lane. We're here every week talking about the landscapes of northern Arizona, and this has been a week. This has been a great week. Talk about health of your landscape, of the forest. We need storms to come through like we've had this last week that deep soaks down through the root root zone and helps to hydrate those fruit trees, the evergreens, your privacy screens. This is a game changer. Some of you were in putting down your weed and grass stoppers last week before the storm. Brilliant move. So what will happen is we'll warm up after this. At least it looks like the two-week forecast is it's going to be warming gently up where things will start growing. So your dandelions will start growing with a vengeance. Uh, the foxtail. This is a beautiful green grass, but the burr on it has a has a seed that wants to go through your sock and come out the other side of your leg. It's really bad. It's an annual. It will grow with a vengeance with this kind of moisture. So your wildflowers will start growing as well. So you everything's going to start taking off because of the moisture in the warmer days. So if you fertilized, this is the kind of moisture. That's why I tell folks when you fertilize or when you're putting your weed, weed and grass toppers down, don't focus on the drip emitters of your, of your irrigation system. It makes zero difference with fertilizer activation or not. What you really want to focus on is the drip line, the outer branches of those plants. So most of the feeder roots on your trees, your shrubs, on any plant, is they're going to be mirrored, those outer, the furthest reaches, the furthest outside branch, that's where you want to focus most of your foods. Uh, that's where the, the tiny fiber, fibrous small root hairs that can pick up water, pick up nutrients, that's where they're at. At the trunk of the tree, those are only big, barky, wood, anchoring kind of roots. They really don't take up any moisture. They don't focus on any food. They're just there to hold the tree upright, hold the shrub upright. So they can take on a ferocious windstorm and stand tall. Uh, the, the feeder roots are further out. So focus that out there and then pray for snow or rain. This kind of week, week was perfect. It would just, it activated all that fertilizer, got it going down through the root zone and made a difference. It's going to help you to get those uh, uh, wildflowers that were seeded last month. It'll start to get them to settle in, start to germinate, and so they'll start to take off. This is perfect. We really needed that. It also got wet and chilly. So that's going to affect or, or thin out some of the vermin that's out there, some of your the aphids, the, the pests that start to come around. You need some cold to really create healthier, better, more vigorous plants and to, to eliminate some of the pests that start to come after you, after your plants in the landscape. So this is what we really need. It was really good. We need one or two more of those, and wow, you better, you'll see hills filled with wildflowers. You'll see your, your lilacs and fruit trees just erupt with fruit and flowers and fragrance. It, this is really what we want to go for. This week, we got in a lot of plants, and, and, and February is, is kind of unique. It's one of these swing, swing months where it's, it's difficult. Your yard looks 
let's face it, it looks terrible. It's empty and bare and you're tired of being inside. And you just want to go out and garden, yet it's going to be cold. And so there are some plants that look better than others in the month of February. And so every month we put together a, a grouping of companion plants that look great together in that month. thought I'd just feature a couple of those for you. And one, it starts with the pinyon pine, the single-leaf pinyon pine. This is a pinyon pine that's related to our native one that, that grows here, but this is the one that they harvest the nuts on. The reason I like this particular variety is it has a chubbier needle, has a more robust uh, hydration unit to it. It just holds more moisture within it, which allows it to produce pine nuts faster than any other pinyon pine tree. So this is the one, if you're going to get pine, pinyon pine nuts for, for your salads, this is the one that they harvest pinyon pine nuts from. It grows really well in your backyard, and it gives you some height. It gives that blue-green, kind of classic Arizona blue color to it. It's a really hardy plant, and the pine scale doesn't seem to go after that one like it does our native variety. A companion that goes with that would be Lily of the Valley. Lily of the Valley actually does it amazingly well here. It's more of a shaded kind of plant. It loves the north side. Put it on the north side of your pinyon pine. There's a companion mixture to it. But it's an evergreen perennial growing up to about knee high. Kind of depends on the variety that you're planting. We have several here at the garden center. But the flower, they're loaded with flowers right now. And it is one of the most fragrant blooms. It's the, it kind of announces spring. It opens up with these bell-shaped flowers, hundreds of them over this knee-high perennial. And then it just fills up that landscape with fragrance. They look really good in containers, raised beds, but they really look good together with a pinyon pine. To go with that, peony. Yes, English peonies. They actually grow here. They do very well, and what happens in February, you put these things together with, with this grouping of plants, this companion, February companion plants, the pinyon pines, uh, with, with the peonies and the lily of the valley, the, the uh, peonies start to erupt from the ground about now, so they aren't blooming. Okay, they'll bloom later in spring, but they're a true perennial. They hibernate underground, but they start to show up. They start to break the surface of the ground now. And so you can start to plant those, and now you've got something that will take full sun. You've got a lily of the valley that takes full shade. You've got a grouping of plants that look good and grow well together and can be on the same drip irrigation system. Lastly, there's four companions always that we put together, is Calgary Carpet Juniper. Now, this is a ground cover. This only gets two, three, four, kind of ankle-high, no more, but then spreads out. One plant will fill up the landscape Oh, six, seven, eight feet wide and kind of round. This plant will soften up that, that rock lawn. It kind of grooves, moves in and fills in between all the boulders and the rocks up that hillside. Just a great evergreen that's got this tremendous color, kind of this blue-green color that really complements uh, the, the single-leaf pinion pine. Uh, really looks good with uh, peonies growing up through them. That's really magical. Have this these uh, ground cover going through with a peony underneath it. Then it erupts with these big flowers that are fragrant the size of your hands. Oh, it's a great look. So those are companion plants that just look great uh, in the month of February. They can be planted now. You'll find them at garden centers now. And so these are plants that just the companions for February. And every month I'll try to come up with 
What looks good in March? What looks good in, in April, May, June? I'll come up with, obviously in winter, it's going to skew heavier towards evergreens. And there's a lot to choose from now. In fact, if you were thinking of, about planting more evergreens in your landscape, now is the time to go to your garden centers and take a look because you can see what they look like this time of year. Why wait? And you know, when they push that new growth on, they're going to have a different look. Typically, the new growth is going to be brighter, lighter, cheerier green. And now winter, they get more grays and purples or darker, richer forest greens. This is when you can go to the garden center, take a look and see what a red tip botinia is going to look like, to see what a, a red clusterberry catoniaster looks like, to see what a, a Wichita blue evergreen juniper looks like. This is when you can really see it and, and appreciate it. And they really look good this time of year. So, and there's some plants that go look well together. As we get into spring, we're obviously going to have more blooming kind of things because flowers rule uh, in, in April, May, and June. That's when things are really erupted. It's when your forsythia start to come out. It looks so good. So we are starting to see some color in our own landscape. So the jasmines are in bloom. Uh, the evergreens look really good. The Japanese maples are butted up heavy, but not, not leafing out yet. So we're starting to see that transition. We just need a couple weeks of 60-degree weather, and you better stand back because things are just going to take off with new growth. We have a lot in store for you uh, this particular show. Uh, we've got Lisa Watersling coming in with your garden questions. Can't wait to get involved with gardening. We'll be right back after these important messages. You've been listening to The Mountain Gardener with Ken Lane, owner of Waters Garden Center in Prescott. Join him every week for timely garden advice right for the gardens. Visit Ken where he can be found throughout the week at Waters Garden Center in Prescott. It's almost spring. Time to grow a pear. A pear tree, that is. Late winter is ideal for planting fruit trees. At Waters Garden Center has cherry-picked the hardiest, heaviest producing trees from our most trusted growers. From apples to apricots and persimmons to pears, the garden center is plumb full of varieties that thrive in our mountain soil. And we'll even plant them for you. We believe life is a bowl of cherries, so grow the best ones ever. From Waters Garden Center in Prescott. If life is a bowl of cherries, why not make them the biggest, sweetest cherries ever? Waters Garden Center is super excited to introduce our new organic fruit and vegetable plant food. This fertilizer has the bonus of added calcium that gives fruit trees and veggies an extra boost to produce healthy, abundant crops. Feed your plants now to help them thrive and grow more fruits than ever in just $27 for a 20-pound bag. Safe, natural, organic fruit and vegetable plant food only at Waters Garden Center. You've been listening to Ken Lane, the Mountain Gardener. Green thumbs learned while working in the Family Garden Center. Now welcome back to the Mountain Gardener. And we are back with Lisa Waters Lane in the studio. She comes each week with your garden questions. Just what's going on in your neighborhood? What, what are other folks talking about? And there's, there's some value to sharing what other folks are asking. So we've got this whole segment just for, well, she and I answering questions. So welcome to the studio, Lisa. Thank you. So what kind of, what's going on? There's lots of snow this week. There's <laughs> people are gardening, but not gardening. We didn't even close, we didn't even open on... Was it Monday, Monday or 
Tuesday. Yeah, Monday. Tuesday. Yeah, Tuesday. Tuesday. So whenever it was, that was like light years in retail. <laughs> that was like forever ago. Seems like forever ago. But we had, what, about six inches? Yeah. Across town, 11 inches. Mm-hmm. Flagstaff got Zero. none. Yeah, two. What, not, a it's dusting. It's really odd yeah. the way it came through. But yeah. lots of nice moisture in that snow. It's really melting off, and everything's nice and moist now. We needed that. We did. Yeah. So what kind of garden questions do we got going on with with other folks? Okay. Well, Kathy says, my pots look empty and boring. What can I plant now to bring color to my front yard? That's a good, that's actually a good question. Um, There are some things that you can plant now. So it's... You got to be careful though. So I've had customers coming in this week going, I want my tomatoes, I want my <laughs> cucumbers, I want my summer plants. Well, it's mm-hmm. not summer, it's still winter. Ooh, yeah. So you need things that can take a really bright day and then then a snowstorm and then mm-hmm. come back with a really bright day. And there are plants that thrive in that type of environment. And so the classic of, of all of them would have to be pansies, sure. giant mammoth pansies, mm-hmm. uh, violas, which is a cousin of that. All of those love everything about this kind of weather. And it mm-hmm. stays like this in the mountains of Arizona through first part of May. Mm-hmm. Last year's through through Memorial Day. And so they just got so big and bulky and beautiful and luscious. Uh, so you could definitely plant those right now. And you almost pray for more snow because they'll do better when they get some cold. Sure. Companions to that would be flowering or, or blooming or ornamental kale. Mm-hmm. It's, a, it's a decorative cabbage basically you can actually blend in cabbage if you wanted but it's kind of green the ornamental ones are whites and purples and they're ruffled and they're really pretty and they're a companion to to pansies and violas Mm -hmm. dusty miller beautiful evergreen or ever blue or silver it's got a silver color (laughs) evergreen yeah foliage to it (laughs) it's pretty it looks great with the other ones, and they'll thrive. You know, snapdragons. I can go on and on, and and we've gotten our first loads of pretty flowers in. They're not huge. The whole greenhouse is not filled because we're not committing to all just winter, early spring flowers. We're leaving room for the summer things too. But but it's filling up. So this week we've unloaded, no, oh, thousands, thousands of plants. Uh, this <laughs> Feels this <like> week, it. <laughs> I'm sure it is. I'm sure it is. So. Uh, you can start to put those things together. And we won't even go down the shrubs. So there's a whole bunch of evergreen shrubs, you know, it's tiny, cute things from mm-hmm. agaves and cacti, if you want to look succulent or southwestern look, to brooms and, and uh, desert br- desert spoons, if you want that spiky yucca look, or yuccas, and then also the flowering stuff, evergreens, boxwoods. There's a bunch. Okay. Come in with your measurement of your pot, and we can help you put together some styles that will get rid of that boring landscape. Yes, we need to do our own. They're looking pretty sad right now, but we'll get there. That's because of javelina. <clears throat> well, shh, That's we not don't because talk about of them. winter. So yeah. <laughs> okay, Merle says, I remember growing up, my mother had beautiful lilacs. Do they grow well here in the Prescott area, and do they need sun or shade? Oh, they do great. So we're famous. Oh, yeah. Famous for our lilacs. I mean, it just we probably have 10 varieties in the garden center right now full of buds. The great thing about lilacs is they're very deep-rooted. And so they become very robust, drought-hardy even. So you can almost count on them to bloom for you every spring. It's just one of those that fills that landscape up with a beautiful fragrance of lilacs, just like you remember as a little girl. So you can absolutely have that. In fact, they might even do 
better here. Uh, the dryness doesn't cause, it gets rid of uh, disease, leaf spot that you get in the Midwest. And the dryness and the altitude tends to dwarf them a little bit. So what you remember as a 10-foot lilac in your backyard as a kid in the Midwest, here they might be 6 to 8 foot tall. So they're just shorter. So all plants, because of the dryness and the sun, intensity, the altitude, when you read that national tag, just figure yeah, 20 25% shorter, smaller than what they're promoting to be. If you if you were to plant them in their native where they were where they were grown naturally, they'll grow up to that size. But here in the mountains, it's a bit more extreme. The soil is there's less soil. Just it, things seem to dwarf a little bit here. So it'd be easier to care for. Mm -hmm. Definitely. And you're right. We have, I don't know how many different varieties in right now. Um, some are, are newer varieties, so but their fragrance is still just as wonderful as yeah. your mom and grandmother had. Dwarf varieties, <laughs> tall varieties, red varieties. We've got some that glow in the dark. <laughs> uh, maybe that's, maybe not that the much. The nuclear option. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Okay. Jean started to prune her roses last week, but the neighbor came out and said, wait, wait until March. So she wants to know why she has to wait. Yeah. And her second question was, um, many years ago, she used to spray with lime sulfur when she was done pruning, yep. which she can't find anymore. So what should she spray or even does she need to spray? Sure. Yeah. Good, good questions. <clears throat> so uh, generally speaking, the Rose Society says prune in March. And the reason being, you're going to cut this big, you know, three, four, five foot shrub down to knee high with three to five canes. Uh, the reason you do that is you get better flowers, bigger flowers, more flowers on new vine or, or cane growth. Old uh, structure has has less new vines, less new, new canes coming out, and so you don't get the roses aren't as good. So we're trying to encourage this large root mass to to force all new new canes. And so you really whack on them. And so that's the reason you do do prune. What happens when you do that, though, is it exposes the crown or where all the grafts are. And so you have the potential that we can get a cold come through. Really, if you go single digits, uh, it can cause some damage to that graft. Mm -hmm. And so then you can lose the graft, lose the canes coming up, the, the named variety, and it will revert back to its root variety. That It's usually some mean grumpy old rose it just wants to rip your face off it doesn't it won't bloom the same color we're actually grafting roses bringing roses in here we get a specific variety of rose that adapts better to alkalinity uh, to clay soils to bright sun and, and you graft those onto a certain rootstock so it performs better in your local area and so we do that with our fruit trees we do that with shade trees but roses if you if it goes really cold you can lose that graft and, and it'll revert back to its original that's why you're typically waiting. Usually you're doing that on hybrid teas, grandifloras, floribundas, the name varieties. If it's a shrub rose or, or, a, or a, uh, a, a ground cover rose or something, it doesn't matter. It's on its own rootstock. So if, if it does die back, it comes back from the ground like it original, originally was. And so kind of depends on what, what you're doing. Uh, we've pruned back a lot of ours already, but the hybrid teas and floribundas, we're waiting on until March, just okay. in case we get a storm like we did this week. Mm -hmm. When those storms clear out, it's really cold, and that's when the damage occurs. Okay. Is there any sprays or oh, anything she needs to spray. do after Forgot. she prunes? Sure. Yeah, spray everything. So I was pruning back a shrub rose by the front front road, and um, 
I scraped across, got all the leaves out, trying to hit some leaf spot on that on that particular rose, and uh, found a colony of aphids oh, really? right underneath, just crawling around. I exposed uh-huh. them, so which is perfect. Right before that storm hit, I exposed them to, to cold, so I disrupted them. Uh, I sprayed them with horticultural oil. And then the cold came. So they were obliterated. They're, they're going to be gone. Now, more can fly in on me, but at least they aren't going to winter over at the base of my, my rose. So horticultural oil would be the number one thing mm-hmm. because we have so much uh, aphid and thrip activity early, early in spring. So that's the one. Prune them all up, then spray them, though, so it reduces right. the amount of work you got to do, <laughs> that kind of stuff. There is a brand-new organic mm-hmm. for leaf spot. If you had a lot of mildew, uh, was spotting the leaves, curling the leaves. They make a brand new organic, uh, very safe for your pets, your dogs, your husbands, all, all of that, uh, called Revitalize. And so it, it prevents, it, it strengthens up the, the natural occurring antibiotics within the, within the plant and prevents the spores, the leaf spot, things coming in and, and eating on the foliage, the sugars of the leaves. So that's one, I don't think you need both. I'd say focus on the horticultural oil because mm-hmm. it's number one. When spring hits, the aphids are going to be there. Go after them. Okay, folks, that is it for this segment. We'll be right back with more on The Mountain Gardener. You're listening to Ken Lane, a.k.a. The Mountain Gardener. Ken can be found throughout the week in Prescott at Waters Garden Center. Listen each week as he answers timely garden questions unique to mountain gardens. Hi, Ken, with the plant of the week and our cherry jolt, Dianthus. Jumpstart the color in the garden with a generous helping of this jolting dianthus. The cherry fragrant flowers come atop rich green foliage. A sun worshiper through and through, growing 12 inches, and knows how to draw the butterflies to their nectar-laden flowers. Uniquely waters and just $11. Waters Garden Center, 1815 Iron Springs Road, where people who love flowers that jolt, they love to shop. Hi, Lisa with the plants of the week and our Goshiki Holly. Goshiki translates from Japanese as holly with five colors. Its new leaves emerge red, then turn green. The entire top of this holly is draped in colors of cream, white, gray, yellow, and green. This evergreen makes the perfect accent, hedge, or evergreen container for its all-round good looks. A really nice plant that shines through winter is just $39. Waters Garden Center, where people who love Japanese gardens, they love to shop. You've been listening to The Mountain Gardener with local expert Ken Lane. Join the conversation every week as he answers timely garden questions. Email Ken a question directly from your phone to his desktop through the web at watersgardencenter.com. That's waters with two T's, gardencenter.com. Now welcome back your host, Ken Lane. So one of the questions asked often for the folks new to the area, they're coming in, they're reading tags, doing research, looking online, look at their apps, and they're going, what zone, what growing zone are we? And so the growing zones, they typically go from 1 to about 12 or so. And the higher the zone, the less, the wimpier the plant. Okay, So, so 1, it'll go sub-zero growing like, Antarctica and survive and come back every every winter. So it's usually a cold hardiness. The lower the number, the the hardier, the colder it will go. The higher the number, the hotter it will go. The more heat it will take. 
The problem is once you get too high, plants actually shut down. They have zero antifreeze in them, so they'll take zero freezing. So some of your zone 10, 9, 10, 11, 12s, those are phoenix, desert, palm spring kind of plants, tropical plants. They grow down where it's really hot and never frosts. And so the plants have developed so they don't have any antifreeze in them. So if you bring them up the mountains, uh, they'll thrive in summer. They'll do great. But then come about the new year, we get this deep freeze. The plant has no antifreeze in it. They turn black. The thing freezes through and through, and then it bends over, melts, and just dies. And there's no recovering from that. So we want plants here at the higher elevations. So Prescott, Arizona, right here, the central Yavapai County area, this is going to be a zone seven. You need plants that can go down to about zero degrees. That's good. Uh, so you're, you're the ridge lines around us, so the Highland Pines, the Groom Creeks, those areas, you're going to need to zone six. You need plants that can go down to minus 10, minus 15. If you're up at the higher elevations, so, so Flagstaff, Williams, uh, Pine Top Lakeside, there you need plants that are in zone four or five. So plants can go down to minus 20 or so because it just gets colder. Uh, the, if you're out in Spring Valley, uh, uh, Coyote Springs, not Coyote Springs, more, more Cortis Junction, probably down that 4,000-foot level, uh, um, Kirkland, Skull Valley, you're probably a zone 8. So you need plants that can go down to 10 degrees. You still get a definite cold. There's still definite frost. It can get really get chilly, but it doesn't go sub-zero. So you need plants in your yard that will, no matter how cold we get, and this year will be different than next, no matter as all the seasons kind of kind of level out, can they make it through no matter what storm system comes out in winter? That's what the zones are about. From there, if you're new to the area, you need to know what your frost dates are. When is the last frost of the season? So it's it frosted every night this, this week. It's cold at all elevations. It just got cold. And then you need to know when the first frost is. So plants are growing like crazy, all those tropical tomatoes and beautiful zinnias, all the flowers, things that just really thrive in the summertime. When does the frost come and take them out? So you need to know those frost dates, first and last frost. Your first frost, or no, your last frost, excuse me, typically is going to be around Mother's Day. That's what the locals use. Now, this is broadcast overall in northern Arizona, so, okay, it depends on your elevation where you're at. But generally speaking, it's going to be Mother's Day plus or minus a couple weeks. So if you're up towards Flagstaff, the higher elevations, you're going to be more towards Memorial Day. So scooch that towards the middle end of May is your last frost. If you're at the, at the lower elevations, you're in, in Camp Verde, Cottonwood, you're at Cordes Junction, there you, you might be the end of April. So it just, just flexes, but generally speaking, for Prescott, Arizona, right here where, where I'm broadcasting from, Waters Garden Center, May 8th, we've been tracking 100 years of data, and the average last frost over the last 100 years has been May 8th. Well, when is Mother's Day? May 12th? Somewhere in there? So it's, it's kind of close. It's a demarcation line where you can kind of go, okay, I can plant earlier than that, but I better really watch the weather. If I plant after that, I'm probably golden. I'm good to go. So those are your frost dates. That's, that's the last frost. Your first, your, your very first frost of the season. So typically it's going to be in October. So you've been growing all season. Things are looking great. You've been harvesting like crazy, cutting bouquets. You just, things look really good. Your containers are over the top. 
When is the first frost going to come? You got to always have that on your radar. Generally speaking, it's going to be Halloween. We use that as the demarcation line or the, the holiday that goes, oh, be really aware. Watch the weather really close. By the middle of October, you really need to know. Uh, so you might have to go rush out and harvest all that last batch of, of basil or pick those last eggplants or get those tomatoes off the vine or, or go pick that last bouquet of, of marigolds or zinnias or geraniums because uh, the frost is coming. It's going to wipe them out all in just one night. So we'll get one deep cold. It'll go down to 29 degrees and it will literally obliterate every tropical you know, non-hardy kind of annual flower in the all at once, one night. And so you kind of want to know what, what that date is. So Mother's Day, last frost. Halloween, first frost. Zones are going to be a zone seven. So if you if you if you're in Prescott, Arizona, you want to plant a zone seven or lower. So, so zone seven, six, five, four, three, two, one, any of those will grow in your yard. Higher than that, it's considered an annual. Winter is going to kill it off. Does that make sense? Come in for more. I've got more on that. I can go deep on, on zones and frost. But uh, we have Lisa Watersling coming in sharing her garden tips right after this. The Mountain Gardener, your source for timely garden advice right for higher elevations. Guaranteed to make a difference in your yard this season. Hi, Ken here with the Plants of the Week and our McMinn Manzanita. Part of water's expanding native selection, this is the big, bold manzanita you find growing throughout Arizona. A local evergreen growing wild with the classic red bark for a styling, drought-hardy landscape. Locally grown for local landscapes, this Easy Care shrub is just $39. Waters Garden Center, 1815 Iron Springs Road in Prescott, where people who love lots of native plants, they love to shop. Once upon a time, Fred the Sage and Bob the Yucca watched a herd of deer eat their neighbor's garden. Hey, Bob, said Fred. It's a good thing we're native Arizona plants from Waters Garden Center. Right, Fred, said Bob. We can handle tough Prescott dirt, hot sun, low water, and we look great in the garden. You betcha, Bob, said Fred. Hummingbirds and bees love us, but that deer sure doesn't. Be like Fred and Bob. Go native at Waters Garden Center. Safe, natural, and organic. You're listening to The Mountain Gardener with local expert, Ken Lane. Mountain gardening is very rewarding, with a few Ken's tips, tricks, and garden shortcuts sure to turn your thumbs even greener. Now welcome back to The Mountain Gardener. All right, we've got Lisa Waters Lane back in the studio. She comes each week and just shares some garden tips from her perspective. It's good. If you you get a room of 10 gardeners uh, and you ask them a question... Typically, you'll get at least 10 answers, different answers, if not 12 or 13 or 15. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's, there's different ways to garden. And there's not any one that's right or wrong. There's some that are maybe more successful. or That's one, find a neighbor, a friend that's really good at it. Go, what'd you do with that? And then do that, and you'll have the same success. And then stop checking the internet, because you'll just get confused with all this other barrage of opinions and thoughts that, that may or may not work. And so it's good to have Lisa come in and just share what she's going on going on in, in her gardens. <laughs> Easy for you to say. Yeah. So, as you mentioned earlier, we have gotten many, many trucks in lately. And one of the things that we got in were our roses, our fiber pot roses, yeah. what we call them. <clears throat> so I thought I would talk about the different varieties 
and what does it mean to have a fiber pot rose? And also to let people know that the fiber roses that we brought in are grade one quality. Okay. And maybe you could explain a little difference in how they grade them. And and not all bare root or, or dormant roses are the same. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> so the grade thing, they, they grow roses typically two, three years in a field, uh, and just like a farm. So they'll go through, and then they'll go through the machine that prunes off the roots, prunes off the tops, and they've got this bare root rose that they rip out of the ground. They're going to grade that depending on, on the, the balance of the canes, the size of the canes, the healthiness of the canes. Not just the canes, though, but also the roots. Mm -hmm. And so you want a, a rose that has been balanced. they got a balanced root structure to their cane structure with great balance, so, so it grows out evenly. So they'll grade them A, B, C, and, and even sub subgrade. And so you really do want, if you've got, if you're going to do it yourself, you're going to, you're going to have a rose in your yard, you really want a, a top grade. And out of any crop, 10% of those will be unbelievable grade. Just, whoa, it's <laughs> obviously better. Then there's the 80% that's kind of the masses. And then there's a the 10% that they really, they deserve the burn pile. They just don't even deserve to be ripped out of the ground. They're unworthy of being harvested. So you want that top end grade. From there, the fiber parts, that's just, you really don't want to plant a bare root rose here in the mountains of Arizona. It's so dry and crusty and windy, and it's hard for the, the roses to get started. You'll, you'll be, it'll take two years for it to really fill out and look good. Well, what we do is we'll take that bare root rose, we'll pot it up last year, then we'll root it out in this fibered pot, and then we bring it in the following year. And so you've got a fully rooted variety of rows that's grade eight and then you plant it's very very environmentally friendly you plant the pot and all just right there in the ground the roots go right through that peat mm -hmm. pot uh, uh, through the roots go right through that peat pot and into the ground and then it will bloom this year yeah. whereas typically a bare root rose would not bloom this year it's blooming you're blooming next year right so we so just you get an extra season Easily. or more yeah. out of it for like five dollars more yeah. you get a whole lot more and rose. a very healthy Healthy yeah. rose. Way more success. Yeah. yeah. So a question for you on the fiber pots real quick. Do we recommend, do you kind of break that down at all, slice it, or does it, will it break down on its own? So the experience <clears throat> is just personal experience from decades of selling those things. So what I found is what, what they say in other parts of the country where it's acidic soil, you put it in the ground, roots go right through it. And that does work that way. Where the ground is very, very alkaline, the opposite of acidic, uh, you put it in the ground. And sometimes, if you don't have enough organics and you don't water it enough, mm -hmm. uh, the roots won't go through it as well. Okay. So what I tell, when I'm helping customers, mm -hmm. I tell them, don't take the fiber pot off. Right. Just cut the bottom off. That's it. And that kind of gets that balance. We keep the root intact. Uh, but it opens up a piece. You kind of want the roots to go down anyway. So I just sure. shave off the bottom of it with a razor blade or pruners, okay. pocket knife, anything. <clears throat> and away you go. That thing will just take off with new growth. So and easy now, peasy. Now's the time you do it. That's yeah. now's. We've got a handle on how to plant a shrub, how to plant a rose. There's more steps to it than just open a hole, chuck it in, and watch it grow. Yeah. You need some things to make it happy. Mm -hmm. but that's that's what you do with a fiber pot. My, okay. in my In this gardener's... Yeah, opinion. I would agree with you. I just wanted to make sure we kind of got that out there because 
there again, we're in the mountains of Arizona. It can be a little different. So types of roses. So there's tea roses, grandiflorus. <clears throat> Sorry, I think my cold is coming back on yeah. me, Ken. So tea roses, grandiflorus, floribundus, and then shrub roses. Right. So those are the... And carpet roses. And carpet and roses. And tree roses. And we can go oh on. Oh my gosh, you just keep going on <laughs> and on. But I thought I would talk about a few of the really pretty ones that we've got in in each category. So I'm going to start with the tea roses. Yeah. And those are the ones that have more of the single uh, flower, single bud on a long stem. So kind of that more traditional type rose. One of my favorites that we have is called Sugar Moon. It's a beautiful white rose. And the fragrance on it is just amazing. I love that one. We got one out there called Over the Moon. We have a moon theme going here. Yeah. I love the description of it. It said it was a voluptuous, warm apricot color. That sounds <laughs> I good. I was like, okay, I need one of those in the yard. I need two of those. <laughs> <laughs> and we got a new one in this year called Grand Dame. So it is, um, it's almost like a David Austin rose, if you're familiar with those, where they're very, very fragrant. And the petal count on I think it's like a 40 or 50 petal oh, count. Wow, so amazing. it's a really big, uh, multiple petal with very good fragrance. So kind of like, like David the David Austin. Austin. <clears throat> that's so right up there with David Austin roses. Right. That's, that's amazing. Very, very pretty. It's kind of a rosy pink color. Yeah. So that's a new one to check out. So if we go into Floribundas, which is a rose that has many blossoms on one stem, um, makes a great show rose out in the landscape. Uh, we have one called Distant Drums, which is really neat because it kind of turns color. So when it first is in bud, it's kind of a tannish color. As it opens and matures, it turns into a pink color a really soft pink from tan yeah. a tan <clears throat> flower does not sound pretty no but, but fading to open, pink sounds yeah. amazing it's really a pretty rose wow i've not seen that i'm gonna check that out i did not mm -hmm. i haven't seen that one that's it's that's interesting there. uh one called ebb tide which is a uh really deep purple color and the fragrant on it because i like like clove smells spicy yeah. smells and this has that so mm. it's it's a really cool one ketchup and mustard i would say that's a Classic. People love that it's, rose. Well, it's two-tone. It's yeah. so unusual. I mean, red it's, red on one petal, yellow on the backside. Come on, ketchup and yeah. mustard. That's crazy. I, I'm surprised every year how many of those we sell. But it is a really pretty rose. And there's one out there that I thought was gorgeous called Judy Garland. Mm -hmm. um, so it's yellow, but it kind of there again, as it matures, it's going to turn into kind of an orange and dark red color to okay. it. Um, and it also has kind of an apple-y fragrance to it. Apple's good. Yeah, so a real pretty one. So then we get into Grandiflorus. And Grandiflorus, they're just a taller rose. Am they're I right? Bigger. It's like you mixed hybrid teas with Floribunda on the same rose and then fed it steroids. So it's going to be <laughs> twice the size of a regular bush rose. It would be up head high or so. Mm -hmm. But then it's bigger, so it has so many more flowers. It's for a shrub. It's fantastic. For that yeah. back corner, fantastic. Mm -hmm. That's the way to go. My favorite one in that grouping is called Miss Congeniality. So it's a, a white rose with a dark pink edge to it. And the fragrance on that one, it's, it's, it's there again, it's kind of that spicy fragrance. Mm. Um, so it's got everything going for it. Oktoberfest, which is kind of cool because it's an orange That's rose. unusual. Yeah, yeah, something a little bit different. And Fragrant Plum, that's another one that's kind of a, 
medium medium purple but they're getting the fragrance on it is so just we got a, we got amazing a theme going. roses are fragrant well if you're gonna they have are. a rose yeah, it should not? be fragrant and yeah. we work really hard to bring in the double whammy beautiful color yeah. beautiful fragrance yeah absolutely that's great and you, now's the time to put those in mm-hmm. you really want those you, roses are starting to grow so it's time yeah. to put the, the these in the ground right and then by the end of April, they'll be starting to bloom, and they'll bloom. These are ever bloomers, so they'll repeat bloom in waves of flowers right through October. I mean, we had Thanksgiving, first part of Christmas, I mean, mm-hmm. first part of December. We had color on our roses. It's amazing. This is great rose country. Thank you, Lisa. The roses you can plant in February. If if your Valentine didn't give you a rose, go ahead and plant one for yourself because you, you deserve go. it. We'll be right back with Ken and Lisa Lane and the Mountain Gardeners. Look for more tips, tricks, and garden shortcuts through Ken's website. Podcast the show, read his weekly garden column, or follow him on Facebook and Instagram at watersgardencenter.com. That's waters with two T's, gardencenter.com. Hi, Ken with the Plants of the Week and our majestic giant, pansies. Mammoth blooms smother this 12-inch plant right through winter. Fragrant like its fairy-faced cousin, this giant bloomer has the perfect balance between evergreen foliage and flower brightness. Hardy and carefree, this local pansy brings the garden back to life, all for just $5.99. You'll only find them at Waters Garden Center, 1815 Iron Springs Road in Prescott. Where people who love majestic pansies, they love to shop. Wondering why my garden looks amazing? Well, that's personal. The personal garden shopper service at Waters Garden Center, that is. Before talking with my personal shopper, I had no idea which plants would be best for me. But now my garden is bursting with flowers and buzzing with hummingbirds. Just go to watersgardencenter.com, click on shop, and choose personal garden shopper. A waters garden expert will pick the perfect plants for you, personally. The personal garden shopper, only at Waters Garden Center in Prescott. Welcome to the Mountain Gardener with Ken Lane. Gardening in the mountains is different. Listen to Ken's tips, tricks, and garden shortcuts guaranteed to make your gardens more beautiful than ever this year. Now for better advice that works locally, welcome your host, Ken Lane. Now just feeding off of last week's garden topic, fruit trees, we've unloaded literally hundreds of shade trees, aspens, birch, red buds, fruit trees galore, berries, uh, blackberries and raspberries. They're all they're all flooding in right now. So we've got to fill up two acres of garden center with plants. And it takes us three or four weeks to do that, but it's filling up pretty quickly. And so the trees are here, the fruit trees are here. Uh, if you were contemplating planting a shade tree, maple, cotton uh, any kind of, of leafy type of shaded tree, it's deciduous now, loses its leaves, but then wakes up and flushes new growth in spring, you really do want to plant those before they wake up. So there is not urgency. We're so mild here, at least at the lower, I'd say 6,000 foot level and lower, we're so mild you can plant 12 months out of the year. I mean, there's just no no season that you can't go out and plant something. But there is an ideal window. There's the peak time. And now you're in it. Now through the end of March is your peak time because we're trying to get those fruit trees, those shade trees, the blooming uh, ornamental trees. We're trying to get the trees in the ground 
before they wake up. That way, uh, the second they start to leaf out, and you'll see the buds starting to form, right after they leaf out, they start to send off roots. So it's just like ba-dum-bum. They just go leaf, roots, just like that. And so if you can get them in the ground, they're going to start to leaf out. Uh, they'll be used to their surroundings, uh, surroundings at that point, and you'll get more root mass in your surrounding landscape, which makes them more robust for the summer months, the windier, drier times. June is just rough. You know, folks ask, you know, what's the hardest month to grow things? They're thinking January is the roughest time to grow in the mountains of Arizona, and that is not true. Things are dormant in January, February, you know, December, that, that middle of winter time. Uh, it's really the hardest, most difficult time to grow here the season is June. You've got all this new growth that erupted April and May. Now it's exposed to this prevailing southwest wind. It's unique to the southwest here. Arizona's really takes in the shorts on this one. So they this prevailing southwest wind that's that's just bone dry. With you've got all, all this new tender growth coming out. And so that combination of tender growth, wind, uh, alkalinity, and then you just can't make a mistake with your irrigation because that new growth is sensitive. So you need to be a really good gardener. The more roots you have underneath that plant before the month of June, it takes the edge off. You can make more mistakes. You don't have to be as good a gardener if you're really if the timing is right. That's why I emphasize now before they start to leaf out really is a, a peak or ideal time. I know it just snowed to, to Monday night or whatever, and now it's thawed, but but it doesn't matter. The ground is not frozen. So it might have snowed, but the ground is still actually it'll be easier to work now than it was earlier. So that's going with the seasons, working with the environment instead of against it. That's the secret to learning how to garden in a new space. What you'll also find is in your own yard, the front yard will be different than the backyard. The gardening on the side, side yards will be different. The grade makes a cha uh, changes it. So even... On a, on a flat area, let's say Prescott Valley, Paulden, those areas, even a slight grade from the back to the front of that, that yard, you'll get into different soil bands, and the soil will start to drain. The, the, the water will perk differently. The textures will be different. And so you really do want to work with, get familiar with your segments of the yard and how, how plants grow there. Or you just do what I did. It was so horrible. The whole, the whole experience in the backyard was so bad that I just went, that's it. I'm not guarding in this crud. I'm going to make raised beds, and we're guarding, and it just, I've got tiered raised beds on this mountain slope, and it just like, it's like the Towers of Babylon, just beautiful, overflowing with life because I've brought in all new fresh soil to garden in because I'm on the north slope of a, of a mountain, heavy, heavy clay soil. Uh, they ripped open, most of the topsoil was taken off of that hillside, to put our house in. So I'm dealing with sterile soil that's heavy clay on a north side that doesn't get doesn't get much <laughs> organic or water or sun or anything. And so it was some of the hardest gardening I've ever done. The great thing is, once you learn how to garden and, and modify your, your garden space so that plants thrive, it's like a mini oasis. So if you were to come over to our yard, Mother's Day, uh, typically when we start to have our first outdoor barbecue parties, it can be a little chilly, but we've got heaters and fireplaces for that. We can take the edge off, but the flowers are over the top. By July 4th or Father's Day, the next holidays, 
Uh, the gardens are just full. I mean, they look like a botanical garden. It looks like an oasis because I've learned how to modify or work with my soils to put those things in. Then you need to know when to plant certain plants. So the frost dates I'd mentioned at the bottom of the hour. So our, our last frost is going to be about Mother's Day in our backyard. So this is in Prescott. So I won't plant my tomatoes, eggplants, things that love the summer, things that form a fruit or flowers that are a little larger that, that like the sun uh, of, of summer. I'll wait until after that date, Mother's Day, to start planting those things. I am planting spring lovers right now. So your kales, pansies, spinach, chard, uh, violas, dusty millers, snapdragons, peonies. You can go on and on and on. There's a, there's a lot of things you can plant now. They look good now, but they're not going to look as good in the summer. So that's when you kind of have that you're working with the seasons. So ideally in your own yard, you're going to want some evergreens. If you don't have any, your yard looks terrible right now. It looks like a lunar landscape. The things that are there, they're just twiggy, no foliage. You need some evergreens in your yard, about 20%. You need about 20% of those landscape plants to be spring bloomers. Lilacs, forsythia, flowering quince. There's a whole series of them that do really well. Indian hawthorn is this nice evergreen that blooms in the spring. You want about 20% of those when spring gets here and you're out you're outdoors and you're kind of feeling antsy, you just want you want them to you want these things to erupt with a new color. Just go, welcome back. I'm, I missed you all winter. Thanks for coming out in the yard. Let's garden together. You need about twenty percent of your landscape landscape to be summer bloomers. These are crepe myrtles and roses sharons, uh, sestina plums. Uh, there's a whole series of plants that look really good in the summer months. By then, the spring bloomers, they're done. They're just green, green, green shrubs. That's all they are. But if you put, a, put some Russian sage or some salvias out there, the hummingbirds start coming in, the butterflies are attracted. You want about 20% of your landscape to be summer bloomers. Then you want 20% of your landscape to be fall color. These are your maples, uh, your Japanese maples or, or autumn blaze maples. There's lots of colors, silver surface berries, lots of natives, uh, desert willows, they look really good in the fall of the year, and they, they just erupt in these reds and oranges and gold colors that really make your, your landscape stand out. Then that last 20%, so let's just let's, let's go 20% evergreens, 20% spring bloomers, 20% summer bloomers, and then 20% fall colors. That leaves, to, to round it off, an extra 20%. And I tell my folks, you know, when I'm helping them design, I just go, which season do you like? When are you here? If you're from Alaska and you're down here and this is your winter home, I would focus all of that on winter evergreens because that's when you're here enjoying. If, if this is your summer home, you, you winter down in Phoenix, then you come up the hill to be up here. I would focus on summer plants. I'd put that all, all 20 extra percent. I'd put agaves out there and more salvias and Russian sage and Coreopterus, there's a whole series of plants that just look great in the heat. So use that last 20% that just anything that's either you're there enjoying the landscape or you just like it and you want it or you want more of it, double down, have some more. You deserve it. We live in America. Add 40 cents and supersize it. That's what that last 40%. And you want to design a four-season garden accordingly to work with the seasons, to always have something of interest going on in your landscape or your gardens, and then never work against, against 
the seasons. You always want to work with the environment, not against it. Your success rate will skyrocket. All right, we got more for you. I'll be right back, though. Got to pay the bills on this thing. We'll be right back after this. You're listening to local garden expert Ken Lane, the owner of Waters Garden Center. He can be found throughout the week at Waters Garden Center, located in Prescott at 1815 Iron Springs Road. Thanks for tuning in to The Mountain Gardener. Hi, Waters with the plants of the weekend are Santa Rosa Plum. A showy display of white flowers has yielded an abundant harvest of dark crimson fruit. Firm flesh with a wonderful flavor right off the tree or jams. For smaller yards, this is the only plum that produces fruit all by itself. A lovely border tree or garden accent and ready for summer planting at just $49. Waters Garden Center, 1815 Iron Springs Road in Prescott, where people who love to grow their own plums, they love to shop. Not everyone can grow wildflowers, but we'll make sure you're not one of them. At Waters, we know which wildflowers sprout, thrive, and bloom with success. We're wild about wildflowers with many of our own Arizona blends. Like our Arizona native mix, butterfly and hummingbird mixes, and all are big, bold, and beautiful. At Waters, we know wildflowers, and winter's a season to spread new seed. Waters Garden Center, where people who love their flowers wild, they love to shop for seed. You've tuned in to The Mountain Gardener with local garden expert Ken Lane. Join him each week as he answers timely garden questions that are sure to make a difference in your gardens. Now welcome your host, Ken Lane. One other thing, if you're new to the area, that you'll find that's uniquely different. Our soil is extremely alkaline. So if you're coming from the East Coast, they tell you to add lime to your soil. Always add lime. It sweetens the soil. Don't ever do that to your landscapes in Arizona. Take those wood ashes from from the grill or the fireplace and add them to the garden. More ash is good. Don't ever do that in the mountains of Arizona. Again, ashes are very alkaline, so it'll, it'll quickly change the chemistry of your soil. And our soil generally has a lot of volcanic ash naturally occurring in the soil. So you rarely have to add any new ash to your soil. There's enough there already. And if you get too much of a good thing, it can actually sterilize the soil so nothing grows. So before you add ash, before you add lime to your soil, make sure you, you soil test. Make sure you, you know what you're getting into instead of just blindly adding stuff to your soil like you did in other parts of the country. We are different here in Arizona, and you need to know that and how to react to that. And there's very little organic naturally occurring in our soil. And so the topsoil is millimeters thick, I mean, just very shallow. Your contractor graded all that off to put your footers and driveways and patios in. So many of you have zero active, live soil that you're planting. And if you just throw a tree into dead soil, it's going to struggle. It's like raising your kids in a bone pile. How well are they going to do? Well, they're gonna, they, might, they might survive, but they're really going to struggle. What you'll find is you need to add some organics. You need to prep that hole right. Get rid of the rocks and the debris that's in that ground and plant it. Get that planting hole right. This is especially important for things that you want to grow fast privacy screens, or things you want to fruit, like fruit trees, grapes, berries, brambles. They all grow really well here, but you need to do the prep work ahead of time. So the work of a plant is is getting that soil right, and then everything just comes into alignment. And if you've got really heavy clay soil, you might want to check before you throw a plant in that. So dig your hole, fill it up in the morning. At the end of the day, if there's still water seeing that hole, That's not going to grow a plant. That's going to grow cattails, maybe, water lilies, 
It's a bathtub. It's not a planting hole. So if you throw a, a nice spruce tree or pine tree, or uh, they're just going to die. It'll take them six to nine months, but they're going to die. So you really want to test that. Check the drainage before you really commit to putting that you know, $100 tree in the ground and, and hoping that it grows. A little more homework here because of our our soils are different, our water is different, our chemistry is different. We have no naturally occurring food. So what you'll find is you need to fertilize more often. And so we, we recommend fertilizing four times a, a year with an organic food. So we make our own organic fertilizers. So you want to, you want to fertilize, if you're thinking holidays, Easter, 4th of July, Halloween, and New Year. If you get that sequence right, you're going to have a healthy yard that just blooms, has fragrance. It just it grows with, with it just thrives. You're, you'll think you're just like the rock star of your neighborhood, and you are because you had the insider tip of you don't have any food, and these plants need to be fed more regularly. Now, let's say the Midwest, we've got an eight-foot topsoil. We go over a lot of this on, on our garden classes each each Saturday. So this Saturday was gardening for newcomers. We went deep on that. So we, we shared all the insider tips for new folks gardening here in the mountains of Arizona. Next week, we go deep into the evergreens that also bloom. There's some plants that actually look good year-round, and then they bloom for you in the spring. They're like magic. They're great for the mountains of Arizona where you need a, a lot of seasonality. We've got more rocks, so you need each plant to be to bring more to the table. Uh, if you have lawns, it's super easy to just throw a few plants and it looks good. The lawn carries you, but if you've got rock, it doesn't. You need your shrubs to do more for you. And then the week after that, we've got December 26th. It's, uh, no, 29th, the spring to-do list. What do you do at the end of February to get your yard ready to rock and roll, ready to plant? So we'll go deep into, here's 10 things you need to do to have a better landscape this spring. Until next week, Lisa and I camp out here at Waters Garden Center. We love talking to friends of the show. It's almost spring. Time to grow a pear. A pear tree, that is. Late winter is ideal for planting fruit trees. At Waters Garden Center has cherry-picked the hardiest, heaviest producing trees from our most trusted growers. From apples to apricots and persimmons to pears, the garden center is plumb full of varieties that thrive in our mountain soil. And we'll even plant them for you. We believe life is a bowl of cherries, so grow the best ones ever from Waters Garden Center in Prescott. If you want a more fruitful garden, increase success in your landscape that just feels better, then tune in every week to The Mountain Gardener. Years of tips, tricks, and garden shortcuts are guaranteed to make your gardens nicer than ever. Listen to this podcast or read Ken's weekly garden column by visiting watersgardencenter.com. That's waters with two T's, gardencenter.com. Thanks for tuning in.